Hola, mi gente. My name is Jessica Yanez, and I want you to join me for some wine and chisme. The Wine and Chisme podcast was created to amplify voices across communities of color, all while drinking a glass of wine. From wine talk, interviews, and recaps of all things pop culture, join me every Wednesday for the chisme. Please make sure to check out the Wine and Chisme podcast and other amazing podcasts as part of the Latina Podcasters Network. This is your girl Odalis Jasmine, and y'all are listening to Hello Latino. Today I am hella excited because I'm gonna introduce you to two people that I think everybody in the hood, everybody in the community should know about. Steven and Ben. Let me introduce them. So Steven, he is a proud Dominicano, co-founder of Encantos and Chief Business Officer at Tripas, spelled three bus. Ben Odell partnered up with Eugenio Derbez to create Tripas, which is a new mainstream multicultural studio producing stories about us. They're the creators behind Overboard, How to Be a Latin Lover, Acapulco, and The Viaje con los Derbez. They say multicultural done well is mainstream done right. This is the largest studio creating and producing Latino and bilingual content with an intersection of humor, heart, and humanity. Get ready for this funny, dynamic, and inspiring conversation with Stephen and Ben. Let's jump right in. But welcome, bienvenidos. Gracias. Ben, the lighting looks better. <laughs> <laughs> I try to keep it a little blurry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so happy to have you all on the podcast. This podcast means a lot to me. It's been around for about three years now, and I heard about y'all through... Uh-oh. Susie Jaramillo. Yeah. Wait, you I, just froze. I, I, I think the week just, just got out, just gave out already. Oh, can you hear me? We can hear you now, but I need yeah. to see you from the top. Can you see me? Yes. Yes. Okay. Take it from the top. Bienvenidos. Gracias. <laughs> having all the authenticity in this Wi-Fi, but I'm really excited to have you both <laughs> on the platform. You're both just incredible leaders. What do you call them? Los cabras? Los cabras? I'm going to start calling out the goats. Um, I know. Really cabras. Cabras. <laughs> nah. No way. Yo, yo quedo con el lobo. El, el ah, el mira. Vos el lobo. Mira. Como le dicen los dominicanos, dicen tigre. Es un tigreazo. Well, I want to start with the first question I start every podcast episode with, and that's how do you identify and why? I'll start with you, Ben. I identify as a gringo. <laughs> Come um, on, I like, went through. Than that. that is that is so not. That's so not. That's all I'm so, giving. That's all I'm giving. You're so much more, man. Come on, you are <laughs> beloved, adopted, Latino. Are we talking? I don't know what kind of what part of identifying are we talking about here. All parts, however you identify, oh. whether that's ethnicity, culturally, spiritually, all of that. Well, culturally, I would just say I'm a I'm just a uh, diehard fan of all things Latino. That would be the best way I could describe myself. With my Latino yes, kids, so. I've got leave Latino it there, kids. Leave it there. Yep, I and he's got it. the receipts to prove it. All that. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Steven, what about you? 
Yo soy dominicano puro, proud, proud dominican, uh, born and raised in New York, but all my family's from Santo Domingo. Mm, igual que yo, I'm, I'm hondureña through and through, but my whole family, my siblings, my parents, they were all born in Honduras. I was the only one born here, so I get that, that cross-cultural thing. It's part of the reason I started this podcast. But I want to start, I love highlighting the story before I highlight, you know, the accomplishments of what you're building. I love highlighting the person and the human. So Stephen, I want to start with you. Can you tell us a little bit about your story and your Latinidad? Bueno, I mean, it's um, really all kind of a classic immigrant story. Everything going down any different Republican institutions going through New York and my mom and her Two siblings, uh, or you know, two sisters, and, and their uh, youngest sibling, which is my uncle, they all had a flea and they all came to New York in the 1960s. And they were some of the first Dominicans to be up in Washington Heights. And fast forward, you know, she met my dad, who was an American, you know, they fell in love. They had me, and, you know, both my parents were teachers. And, you know, I had the benefit of growing up in a true bilingual, bicultural household where all we spoke at home, play Espanol. Um, but obviously, you go out into school or they're, you know, kind of the word around you. And it's, you know, very gringo and very American. And back then in, you know, 70s, 80s, 90s, you know, being Latino was not cool. You know, it just wasn't a thing. And I was never known as Steven because my mom had a very thick accent. I was a feeling. And so, oh, um, you still are, my you friend. Know, You're still are. I, I, I saw him. I saw him. And, um, you know, all my family, I would spend every summer, every, you know, um, always in, you know, Central Domingo, Sula, Puerto Plata. Um, all throughout the island. And so that's just, you know, for me, that's home. That's my happy place. Mm. Was it, well, I, I'm trying to picture you in the 60s, 70s. Like it's not being, it's not cool to be Latino. It's not cool to be Dominican. What was it like to go back home? Like, was it like, was it cool to be American? Was it cool to be like Dominican? Like, I want to talk about that, like cognitive dissonance as a kid. Yeah, no, it, it was very hard because obviously you grow up, you know, kind of in New York and, you're not accepted kind of back home in the Dominican Republic because you're not, you know, a full, you know, kind of Dominican because you're living the La Buena Vida in, you know, in the United States. But certainly being, you know, kind of Dominican here and obviously all you had to do was hear my mom calling me at school or something like that. And you were just different. And, you know, I grew up in Mount Vernon, you know, born in the Bronx, you know, kind of Mount Vernon was very diverse, very multicultural. And so we definitely had all types of Latinos, you know, black, Asian, you name it. Um, but definitely when you would tell people that you're Dominican, people would, you know, kind of like turn their head and be like, whisper really softly, but, but you're not black. And we would have to educate people that there are many different types of Dominicans. And that I feel is always the journey of the beautiful tapestry, which is, you know, Latinos. That's so funny you mentioned that because when I went to Guatemala a few years ago, Honduras has a big Afro-Indigenous community called Garifuna. And a lot of the ones that live in New York are from the Garifuna tribu, right? Mm -hmm. And it's funny because in Guatemala, I went there and I was telling everyone I was Hondureña and they were like, but you don't look like a Hondureña. And I'm like, what do you mean? <laughs> They're like, right. bueno, like your skin color is different. And it was the first time I ever got that. I'm like, yeah, let me paint some education around. Tenemos de todo. <laughs> and so, and but so. even in our own communities, right? Ben, I want to turn it over to you. How did you? How did your love for Latinidad start? I uh, we lived uh, when I was a kid. I, I grew up in the suburbs of Philadelphia, and our neighbors did an exchange program with their kid, and they sent 
her to Columbia and this Colombian kid moved to our neighbor's house. My parents were getting a divorce. So my dad, he only told me recently why he did this, which because he didn't know how to entertain us. He would always pick up this Colombian kid and take him with us on the weekend. And I, I mean, I've literally spoke to that guy. This is, we're talking about 47 years later. We're, you know, still close friends, but I just fell in love with him first. He was like a big brother to me. And then our family became really close to their family. And then my father married into that family. And I have two half, half siblings who are, you know, half Colombian. Um, but I just, I, I grew up with that family and, you know, wanted to, I wanted to be part of that family. I mean, I chose, I was like, these people are crazy and so amazing. And it was, I always say it was like, it was either everybody was laughing or yelling at each other, but it was never boring. And I loved it. I mean, I felt like my world was so small and boring. And so, and then when I was around, I think I was 14, my best friend, no, I was 13. My best friend and I went to Columbia for a month and just, it just blew our little mind. And we behaved terribly, probably were not very respectful. I mean, we were just teenagers, barely teenagers. But I remember the first time buying a bottle of Guardiente in some little tiendita and we were laughing mm. so hard, like, he's going to actually give that to us. Like, what? <laughs> it was so much fun. But, um, you know, so I, I just fell in love with that family. I fell in love with, with, with Columbia first. And then when I was at, when I graduated from college, I spent a year working in the film industry in New York. And then my father, who's way smarter than I am, said to me, you know, this is 1991. And he said, you know, if you look at the U.S. census right now and where it's going to be in 2000, you love Colombia, you love the country, you love the people. If you became an expert in, in La Dignidad and made content for them, by 2000, there's going to be a huge demand for it. Now, there was so much genius in that because he was right and also so much naivete in it because going to Colombia for a year, which is what he had proposed, was never going to turn me into an expert in the Latino market. <laughs> but it was the beginning. And I, I moved to Colombia in 1992 and I started first as a teacher and then I worked as a journalist. And then I started, I weaseled my way into the television industry as a, as a writer. And I wrote about 300 hours of Spanish language TV. And then I wrote a feature film called Golpe Estadio in 1999. And, you know, the 90s in Colombia were absolutely not. But I was just completely taken by that country. And I had the best, most insane time. And I learned so much because, you know, what I always say is like the thing that I really learned as a, as a producer was, which I am now, was was. To, to be so sensitive to local nuance and sensibility and to understand what you don't know and to turn on that part of your brain where it's like, I have to channel through people that actually know and not pretend to, you know, prescribe my, what's, what's funny to me isn't necessarily going to be funny to them. And that, that sort of instrument that I developed there has been the kind of the thing that I've carried with me everywhere. But it was great because in the nineties, you know, there, this wasn't, it wasn't a global world. There, there wasn't today. It's so different, but I got to write so much and see it produced. And I learned so much from it. I am forever grateful to Columbia for that experience. But, you know, and then I moved back to the U S and, and went to film school. When I graduated, I went back into focusing on first features for the U.S. Latino market, which of course is not a market. We call it a market. It's not a market. It's a loose affiliation of people. 
And so there was so much learning. I traveled all over the country. I went to the Rio Grande Valley, to Chicago, to Miami, yeah, LA, Arizona, New Mexico, to try to really understand, obviously New York, which is where I lived, you know, to really understand the differences and, and understand how you make things for that kind of very disparate group of people. And that was kind of the beginning of it all. But anyway, it's a, it's a huge, I, and I love every version of Latini that, all of them, the Cubans in Miami, the Dominicans in New York, the Mexicans in the Rio Grande Valley, in Chicago, LA, Salvadorians. It's just, there's so, I mean, it's, look, this is a country. Man, we're uh, um, Hondurans too. Hondurans? <laughs> I don't know many Hondurans. <laughs> now you do. Uh, now you now do. I do. Now you do. <laughs> But yeah, no, it's just, uh, there's so much, it's so much rich culture that our country benefits from, from this injection, this injection of immigrants coming from Latin America. Absolutely. Preach it then. I want to stick with you for a second because you co-founded Tripas with the, we're talking about cobras, the goats, we're talking about Eugenio Derbez. Yeah. You co-founded Tripas. Tell, tell me about like the inception of Tripas? Where did it come from? What was the why behind it? How did, how did it happen? Yeah. Well, we had been friends for a long time. I met him in 2006 when he was on Broadway and we just became immediate friends. And I started trying to find anything I could put him in. I put him in. Uh, I really believed where he is today and all the things he's accomplished. Like I saw it then and I told him, I was like, you can do anything. Nobody's letting you do anything but comedy. He's like, how do you know that? Like, I can just see it. And, uh, so we, be- we became really close friends. I became friends with his wife. We just sort of had a, uh, like every time I went to Mexico, we would hang out. And then when I eventually moved to LA to work, to run production for Pantheon, which is this Latin division of Lionsgate, he made this movie, Instructions Not Included, which we distributed in the US. And, uh, you know, so it, it was such a, you know, there's a before and after in the world of content in terms of Latin content, right? Everybody sort of said, oh, we need to make content for Latinos, but they don't, it's so hard to get them to go. And then this movie just does it, right? Just delivers, huge. And so that's when we decided to start the company. It was like, here, you have lightning in a bottle. You know, you have, you know, I, I flew down to Mexico and and sort of laid it all out to him and said, like, we have six months to 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 capitalize on this before everyone forgets and moves on to the next thing. I mean, he had, he had made the highest grossing Spanish language movie ever in the history of cinema, a hundred million dollars on a $5 million budget. It was pretty amazing. So we took the momentum of, of that to start three plus and three plus came from sort of this idea that we were going to kind of build this off our gut, you know, that it was all about instinct and not, you know, trying to, I don't know, you know, think about the market in such a scientific way. It's just let, let's, let's go where, where, where. What do we want to do? What feels right? And and that's sort of how we started the whole thing. It's amazing. And for those who are listening, Tripas, I want to read this from your website because I thought it was really, really cool. But you said Tripas is the new mainstream. To be more specific, multicultural done well is mainstream done right. These folks are on a mission to tell stories with a panoramic approach of the intersection of humor, heart, and humanity. And I have to say, my parents and I, the only times we enjoy all these movies together is with Eugenio Derbez. They're like huge fans of him. And yeah. so we watched How to Be a Latin Lover. We watched The Viaje, what is it? The, the Viaje de Derbez. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and Acapulco, I found out about it through Susie Jaramillo, which Steven you uh-huh. work with. 
And she told me about Acapulco and I binged the whole thing. And I'll tell y'all this because it's, <laughs> it's, it's, me, it's me giving you your flowers. But I watched Acapulco and I saw this one character, this one actress, and I'm like, she has to be Honduran. Like, she just has to be Honduran. I Googled her. Gabriela Mia, who plays Isabel, is Honduran, half, mm-hmm. half Honduran, yeah. half Venezuelan. And I was that. like, my God. And I was, you know, we don't see Hondurans. Benny mentioned it. I don't, you don't know very many Hondurans. The world doesn't know very many Hondurans. <laughs> and so I had reached out to her and I'm like, please come on the podcast. And she was actually on it a few weeks ago. But yeah, I, yeah but the power of just representation, like there was nothing about her that looked Honduran. It was just like tripas, right? A gut feeling of like, she, <laughs> about her, she has to be Honduran. And just thank you to to both of to both of you for creating content and creating representation in in a very indirect way, and and a very direct way at the same time. So yeah, well, we we don't need we don't need to stand another thing about a maid or an arco or you know oh all God. the typical tropes. Like we're just so over it, and you know this is our time. Like you know we have to stand up. We have to be you know the ones that are going to tell our own stories, and it really takes folks that are at the highest level of the craft. I mean. You know, there really is no one producing content at the level of Stripas. You know, the way that Ben and O'Hanning have built this company from the ground up, it truly is a unicorn because there's no one that's producing this amount of volume that is in both English and Spanish, TV and film. You know, it, it's just incredible to see the output and it's all incredible quality, right? I think that that is really the, the key because you're telling stories that have universal truths. And, you know, as we always talk about, it's this incredible Latin feel, but it has global appeal. Yes. And I'll tell you both, I did not grow up watching a lot of Latin content. And if I did, it was not U.S. Latino. It wasn't bilingual. It was novelas. It was like these very yeah. dramatic, like, uh, like, you know, like my mom would binge it all the time and I would just sit there with her. But bilingual content wasn't really, one, I feel like it wasn't really accessible. And two, none of it really was interesting to me because I didn't feel like it represented me. Felt like it was either very Mexican heavy or it was just a little too one dimensional for me or I just didn't see myself in any of it. And so when when I'm talking about these movies, these shows like Acapulco and How to Be a Latin Lover, like these movies are just real, real concepts. Like you were saying, Stephen, they're universal truths, but you can see yourself in the characters. You can see yourself in their experience. It's bilingual. It's fun. It's funny it's cultural i mean all the things that we are and we're still humans we still have universal truths too yeah you know i'll tell you the the whole bilingual thing is interesting because when we started the company obviously ohenio had done instructions and it was a spanish language movie i had produced a lot of spanish language movies and tv and and uh the first thing he said to me was i want to do stuff in english and i was like so you just did a a five million dollar movie made a hundred million dollars you don't want to do another couple of those first You'll never have to work again. And of course, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't work for the money. He works for passion and for the art and for the experience. So, uh, we had to figure that out, but you know, what we came immediately obvious to us was that if you want to be organic, you know, and you're talking about a Latino family, depending on who they are and what generation they're going to organically speak Spanish. And I think where I always get a little frustrated personally is when I feel like there's a pandering or it's not or organic to the way we see people, you know, speak. My wife's a, a, she's Colombian and she, she's a teacher. She teaches kids to be bilingual. And so 
we study how families, you know, work and what, you know, which generations and who's speaking to whom and how do you get your kids to be bilingual? Both my kids are bilingual. We don't speak English at home with them at all. My, my, they both went, when they got to kindergarten, they both dug like these because they literally had barely spoken any English. It was <laughs> awesome. I loved it. I, I didn't want it to go away. But I think that's, you know, I think that the important thing is th- that it, it reflects reality. And so without naming names, somebody at the studio when we were making after Overboard and it came out, Overboard was a big hit. And this person said, you know, we want you guys to make more movies like Overboard, but not, none of this Spanish shit, get all the Spanish out of it. And I said to him, I said, look, it, we're not pandering. We're not, this isn't to, so that the Spanish speaking audience likes it more. It's just organic and authentic. And if we want that audience, they have to feel that we're really reflecting who they are in their lives. And needless to say, we made the ballet and it was also violent and Acapulco and all three too. So, yeah. And et cetera, and et cetera, right? All the movies that you've done. Yeah. And I yeah. mean, I think it's our time too. But, but that's actually really interesting just, just to double click your left for a second. You know, yeah, yeah. the biggest movie, the most budget movie right now for Oscar season is you know everything everywhere all at once, right? That movie costs anywhere from, you know, if you're just looking online, how much did it cost? You know, it says anywhere from, you know, 14 to 25 million and to send over a hundred million at the box office. Instructors not included was made for $5 million and it also grossed over a hundred million dollars. So it's just incredible to see the type of movies that this team is making, which is equally, you know, as good as anything else that's out there. And, you know, we still need to figure out how to tell these stories and get the word out there. And actually, like, that is, you know, part of our, you know, our journey. You know, that's part of our mission to make sure that everyone knows that we're making incredible high quality content that, you know, not just Latinos, that everyone wants to see. Yeah. Steven, now that we're on this topic, I want to talk to you for a bit because I have my notes here. Because I was thinking about, like, all the things that you're doing in the community, because between Encantos and Tripas, I mean... You're reaching so many Latinos, so many people out in the community. Like you're reaching a lot of folks through storytelling. How did this marriage of like the work that you do begin and manifest itself? I think it's just very organic. I think it's always been instilled. I mean, you, you know, when you have a Latino, you know, kind of household, you're always thought that education is the one thing that people can never take away from you. And I feel like it's just so in our culture, it's like you need to go to school, you need to do well in school, you need to educate yourself. Um, and, you know, my parents were teachers. And so for me, it's just been all about how do we kind of educate, you know, kind of communities, educate people around you. And when I got to college, you know, it was really just eye-opening and there were so many Latinos from different parts of the world. And then when I got into the workforce, I did a program called Sponsors for Educational Opportunity. It's the largest source of diversity on Wall Street. And that for me was just like, you know, my crash course in finance, I didn't know anything about it, but it opened me up to just kind of this world. And they taught you that it is not about you, that literally your whole goal that summer is to do such a great job that next summer that firm wants two SEO interns to replace you because you did such a great job. And so I feel like it was always this idea of paying it forward, how do you lift up the people around you? And I feel like that was part cultural, part of my upbringing, but also what our community needs. And, you know, I don't care if you're, again, you know, from Honduras, you know, Boricua, Cubano, Mexicano, like Dominicano, no one cares about us. 
we have to lift ourselves up. There is no Prince Charming. There is no savior. We have to be the ones that are going to lift ourselves up, tell our stories, and it has to be about Latinos and Migos. And so anything I could do to lift up our community, you know, we're here to be those champions. We're here to be those cheerleaders. And, you know, it's everyone from, you know, folks that are in the community doing great work from Eugenio, Ben, to Eva Longoria, to, you know, Gina Rodriguez, to Donald Rivama, to, you know, seeing folks that are supporting it, whether they're, you know, kind of non-Latinos, you know, whether it's, you know, folks at, you know, Revolt, you know, the Tapio Samuels or, you know, Macro, we're doing something with Macro to support Latinx families. You know, obviously there's, you know, incredible work being done by Amazon or Hulu or all these different partners of ours. So we want to make sure that we are representing and just lifting up our community. Mm. How did, can we talk a little bit about Encantos? How, how did Encantos begin? What's, what's the inception story of it? I mean, you know, the origin story is, I think, like all great startups, it's deeply personal. You know, my father passed in 2011 and my mom ended up passing in 2016, one year after my son was born, Sebastian. So it was the kind of thing where it just hits you. You think about your purpose, you think about impact, you think about what you're going to teach your kids about your cultura. And it was just very, you know, it was just very raw. It was very real that how am I going to teach my kids to be proud Latinos? And you start looking around, there's really nothing out there. And so I was working on something with my wife, Nuria, who's, you know, from, she was born in El Salvador, but moved to LA with US3. Um, and we were very thoughtful about, like, we want our kids to be citizens of the world. We were working on a property called Tiny Travelers to help kids become citizens of the world. And then a dear friend of mine, Susie Jaramillo, she was also working on something which eventually became Campicos. And that was really to help kids really learn how to be bilingual you know, kind of, you know, right before kindergarten. So everything about being pre, you know, kind of kindergarten, bilingual, ready in two languages. And it was two Latino families. We both had the same idea, the same mission, same values. So we joined forces. And, you know, today, Pentecost is the number one bilingual preschool brand. So set up right. like. <laughs> I love this partnership of like storytelling in so many different ways, because I think we hear at home all the time, la educación es todo, education is everything. But media is really important too. And not, and, and it influences, influences us so much in the way that we see and maneuver the world. And I just want to, again, give y'all more flowers for creating two different platforms, two, two different mediums of content that goes into the world. And Ben, I want to I wanna ask you a question because one thing that I get a lot from folks who listen who aren't Latino is how can I show up for the Latino community and what can I do as an ally, as a, as a friend, as someone who loves Latinidad, how, and if you were to answer that question, Ben, like what would you tell them? How, how can they show up for the Latino community? I mean, it's, it's, a hard, it's hard to answer in a, in a vacuum, but l- listen, I think it's, it's about, you know, for for me at least, it's expressing my love and gratitude for the, all all the Latinidad in my life by telling stories that are a love letter to those people that I feel like, you know, I want people to see and feel what I feel, you know, and that is really I like I never noticed it, but I was talking to a journalist on another podcast, and he's like, you know, I've noticed that a lot of the stuff you guys make is like this intersection between you know, the gringos and the Latinos. And, and I hadn't really noticed it until he said it, but it's true. And it's, you know, I think that's the way I tell the story. It's like, how do we, how do we show how incredible these people are? Cause 
Now, I, I say this not to pander, but because it truly is what I feel like. My life is so much better because I'm surrounded by Latinos. I mean, it's funny because it was yesterday we were on a Zoom with our entire company and we just hired a new woman. And she came from some uh, for, for, from TV and she'd worked on some very gringo shows. And she got on for the first time with the company. And there were, you know, 15 Latinos on the Zoom. And she almost cried. I, you know, it's like, how does it feel to be part of this, to go make content with this, this crew? And I got really teary eyed watching her, you know, it's, so the, I guess those are the ways that I do. And I don't know, you know, I think if you, if you love the culture, celebrate it and, and shout out loud. One thing I want to, I want to ask both of you. Um, I remember when, I remember when In the Heights came out and there was like two schools of thoughts. There was one that was like, we love this movie and like, it's the best thing that ever came out and it's about Latinos, et cetera. And then there was folks that were like, but wait, the representation is not there because they're filming in Washington Heights. They didn't represent the Afro-Latino community. And so I'm curious from your perspective, as you're creating this content, creating these stories, how is representation at the forefront while you're writing and creating content? And how how are you thinking about the the diversity and tapestry of Latinidad when you're creating? Yeah, I mean, listen, I think it's hugely important. I think it was fair for people to get upset. It certainly wasn't intentional on anyone's part, but I think sometimes you have to call those things out in order for people to get smarter about them. But there's, again, there's so much diversity amongst Latinos that's what's exciting. I The way we look at all the stories we tell is, first, you start with the universal. We're all human. And the thing that I love about The Ballet, which is one of my favorite movies that I've made, is that it's really about this convergence between these Latinos in this neighborhood, this Korean family, this American woman, and all of this mixing, but all centered on the fact that by the end of the movie, you realize they're all connected by their common humanity. And... You know, I, I, we always start with that. And then secondarily, we, we try to plug in these specific worlds and that specificity is what makes things rich. And so when you look at the sort of the diverse, you know, landscape of Latinos in this country, it's like, wow, there's so many different ways that we can tell stories with so much written. Like, I love the Rio Grande Valley. I spent like five days there. It was so strange and different from anywhere else in this country and the rhythms and the way people spoke and everybody was Mexican or Mexican-American, you know, and, it, and, 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 the, and yet they were in so many ways, like very Texan. It, it was just fascinating. And like, that's a, such a rich world. And like that, there's so, I mean, I spent a lot of time in New Mexico. I just found the, that whole sort of the, the Mexican-American, the Spanish, the indigenous, all blending there's so many fascinating stories that come out of there. And we just have so many stories to tell. Yeah. But, but you know, to, to, to Ben's point, it is about the storytelling. But I got to be honest, like, as a Dominican from New York, who certainly grew up in Washington Heights, like, if you're going to get upset about something, like, how can you take it out on Lin-Manuel, right? Who's done so much for heart to me. I mean, it's like, seriously, people, this is what you're going to get upset about? I mean, Leslie Grace and Afro-Latina, like what is happening? I mean, and, and this is where we need to wake up to really understand what is the bigger picture, right? It has to be Latinos Unidos. If we do something, anyone in our community, we have to support ourselves. 
And that's always the critique, right? We don't come out. We don't help each other. We don't lift each other. And we have to stop that. Like there's so much that is going on in this world, right? We could focus on all the things that are wrong, but instead of trying to tear something down, build someone up. If someone does something great, and it's honestly like one of our best, most incredibly dynamic talents, like Lynn, like why wouldn't you celebrate that? Doesn't have to be perfect, you know, like, but these are the kind of things where they also have to understand that show business, there's both sides. There's the show and the story that, you know, you have masters like Ben and Eugenio, and then there's the business. And we need to be very smart about the business because if we don't turn up and we don't support the folks that are making this type of content, then there won't be a business. And that's the kind of stuff that I feel gets lost in translation. Yes, 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 yes. I think it's really one of the things that I loved about that movie, and I watched it with my parents, is because it represented, it was deeper to me than, I mean, I didn't grow up in New York. I did not grow up in around Dominicanos, Caribbean culture. But for me, it was, I grew up in the hood, right? I grew up in Southeast San Diego, and a lot of Latinos that I grew up around were in that area, poverty, low income, and we were surrounded by the Black, Samoan, Pacific Islander, Cambodian, like we were surrounded by all these beautiful immigrant communities as well. And I think that was one of the films that for me represented just growing up in an area that wasn't rich and dominant. Like it was this like, you know, it was a normal neighborhood and like, that's how you grow up. You listen to reggaeton or rap and that's, that's the sounds of your hood. That's the sounds of your block, right? And I think films that you are all creating have not just these universal truths, but also represent just how we see the world. It's like, we're just, I think like, I say this all the time, like we're just humans too. Like we have a little bit more sazon and a little bit more flavor <laughs> and a sauce to our walk, but we deal with a lot of the same things as well. So what's, what's next for Tripas? What's, what's going on? Can you say anything? Global domination. About- ah. that is global <laughs> domination. We're just getting started. Um, well, look, we always have a lot going on. We, you know, we make uh, content in English, Spanish, TV, movies, documentaries. So, uh, you know, we're currently uh, in the midst of all those things at once. And we're, we're about to start season three of Acapulco. And uh, we're finishing, we're about to release season three of De Viaje con los Derbez. And we have a TV show coming out on... In, on Amazon, a Spanish language comedy called Putas Redes Sociales, where my, one of my favorite, favorite projects is a, a series that we start shooting in June about the making of Spanish language Dracula. So when, uh, when this, when the silent era ended and the talkies began, they had a problem because all these movies could no longer travel around the world. If you shot it in English, it wasn't going to work in Mexico or Italy or France. And their idea early on was, let's just shoot the foreign language version at night. So the first test they did, or one of the first, was Dracula. So Bela Lugosi was shooting English language Dracula during the day. And then at night, this Latino crew came in, and they had crappy hours, less resources, less support from the studio. And according to historians and critics, they made the better movie. Uh, I've watched them both, and it is a better movie. So not much has changed is what you're saying, Ben? I'm saying it's the perfect <laughs> metaphor. And uh, yeah, exactly. So we made a, we're making a workplace comedy about the making of Spanish Times Dracula. Eugenio is playing the character who plays Dracula, who was originally actually a Spaniard, but in, our, in, ours, in ours, he's a Mexican. But it's great because there's an organic pan Latin cast 
uh, as it was in the real movie. There's an Argentinian, there's a Cuban that nobody understands. She speaks so quickly. Uh, it's very funny. It's really funny and really exciting. And, you know, it's exciting to have that metaphor living underneath it. It's about something, but it's, you know, it's a comp. That's amazing. And I, I can't understand Dominicans either. Sorry, Stephen. Lo Dominicano habla bien rápido. Oh, pero que no que. Que te pasa? Well, I, it's funny because when I speak with my Honduran accent, which only pops in with family, people are like, I don't understand what you're saying. Like, you speak too fast. But I'm like, we speak too fast? Like, you should go listen to a Cuban <laughs> or Dominican. Okay? And then y'all cut Come words, on, bo- bo- like, Boricua's right up there. You know, get a good Venezuela, get a so, good, you know, Boricua up there. Like, it's, it's a whole crazy. Try, 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 try Colombians from the coast, from Eso, Cartagena, Santa Marta. Lo mismo. Golpeado. Hablan golpeado. <laughs> For us Hondurans, we take off the S and everything. Es que, es que, like we just, we don't even, there's no S in the language. We just kind of sweep over it. Exacto. Um, Funny, I want to ask one in... last. Oh, go, oh, for go ahead. It. You go, you go. No, no, no. This no, Ben, go. Tell me all your stories. No, I was just going to say, <laughs> we were talking about accents. I was in Costa Rica and at least some Costa Ricans have an accent where they don't roll their R's. And for forever, I was like, why are they making fun of me? You know, I kept saying, like I was on this boat with a bunch of Costa Ricans and they're like, yeah, yo quiero ir, you know, and I'm like, what, why is everybody on this boat making fun? <laughs> and then I realized it was the accent. Anyway, That's what so were you going to say? I wanted to ask you both a question of, you know, you've both started so early on in this work doing Encantos, Tripas. I mean, Ben, even if it wasn't Tripas, you were doing a lot of Spanish language film before. What are some of the lessons you've learned from when you started to where you are now? And this for both of you, whoever oh. wants to she's, go she's first. She's going deep. She's going deep, Ben. You go first, yeah. Well, Lena, like I feel, I feel that my experience in finance has always been the foundation for everything because you need to understand the business. And, you know, prior to launching Encantos and raising capital, prior to joining, you know, Tripas and the chief business officer to help Ben and Eugenio build their empire, you know, I was actually at Publicis. I used to run the Walmart media business, which was a billion dollars of media spend. And I was the largest buyer of all multicultural media spend. So that was Procter, Kraft, Coke, Heineken, um, Microsoft, you name it. That was another billion. So $2 billion in media spend. We had the best team, incredibly diverse team across, you know, both, both kind of orgs. But it was always about the data, right? It was always about understanding the business. And, you know, whether it was Walmart, whether it was Procter, you, know, you name the brand, all of their growth was coming from the Latino market and multicultural in general. But the growth driver was always Latino. And so I feel like the way that we could really kind of crack through is just come prepared with the business, come prepared with the data. You have to be able to talk in business terms because if Ben's going to make a movie, you know, he can't just say, hey, I want to make a movie just because he's going to have to go in with the budgets. He's going to have to show that he understands the audience, that it's going to find a market. And I feel like that's one of the things that so many folks don't understand the business aspects of whatever it is, you know, if it's entertainment, if it's technology, is it consumer products, there has to be that underpinning of the business. And I, I just kind of ask all of your listeners to really kind of double down, understand what a balance is, what is a PL, how can you really do something where you're leveraging other people's money and capital? Because that's one of the biggest lacking issues in our community. We don't have financial literacy. We don't understand how to leverage a dollar to access capital. I mean, you know, what is it? 1% of Latinos access venture capital? It's a joke. 
So we have so much work to do. But again, as goes the growth of Latinos in this country, so goes the U.S. success. We are the growth engine. And so it is just imperative for all Latinos to understand the power of the purse and how that will become the growth driver for this country. The power of the purse. Love that. Ben, what about you? Uh, in terms of what I learned around Spanish language content, you know, I, I guess I would say, first of all, thank God for Netflix because, you know, it really leveled the playing field for, you know, I think the world has become language agnostic and, and, you know, now, you know, so starting with that. And then secondly, that, you know, if you build it, they will come. You have to make quality content and there's so much talent, uh, Spanish speaking talent, and we just have to unleash it. And I don't think, there's been enough opportunity really. And that means like having the budgets and the right kind of support to make the things that I think we're all capable of doing, but there's so much opportunity in Spanish and it's, if you make it well, it'll travel the world. And that's, that's exciting. And that's only change, you know, heading more and more in that direction as we, as we uh, evolve. As you head into world domination, as Stephen would say. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and so look, you know, you, you look at who's out there, right? I mean, you look at, you know, Reese Witherspoon and Hello Sunshine, you know, what LeBron is built with Spring Hill, Kevin Hart with Pete, Ryan Reynolds. There is no Latino version of any of that. And so honestly, Eugenio is really the only talent that's at that level that has had that success. And what Ben has built with three bus, literally it's at the top of the heap in terms of any type of independent company that's producing content. So I feel like it's this incredible responsibility where we are going to double, triple down to really have the most there, you know, just producing incredible content that lifts our community up, that has all that universal appeal. And and again, you know, Latin feel, global appeal is really the mantra. You know, I I just had um, Christopher Rebus on here, who's an amazing, amazing writer, podcaster, actor, and one thing that he said that inspired his work, and it reminds me of what we're talking about right now, he said in, in a conversation, they were talking about, you know, race and, and culture, and they were specifically talking about black and white. And he asked the question of, in a black and white world, where is there space for brown, for brownness? And the guy responded with, you're not in the conversation. And for him, it kind of shifted a lot of his work to like, let me own this brownness and let me get people on this train and like, let's try to get there together. But it's exactly what you're both talking about is where is this space for Latinidad? I mean, we're what the largest minority. We have done so much in this world. We are the most loyal consumers. I hear that all the time and it's real. My mm-hmm. parents will forever drink their Coca-Cola and then have <laughs> Goya products in the house. Yeah. But for me, it's it's this space of where where's our stories? Where, where are we existing in this grander scheme of things? Because we're out here, we're doing a lot, but thank you for representing our stories and putting it out there. This and country to- without the injection of Latinos, it doesn't exist. It's, that's full stop. That's that's the truth. So we got to tell that story. Yeah. And we're in. just getting started. We got, we got so much more to do, so... Thank we you for are. Look at Bad Bunny. Look at all these people. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> We're finally making waves. I mean, did you see the merengue and everything happening at, at what is it, the Grammys? Like, that was... I've never... I mean, at least I'm young. So I'm like, I've never seen that. I've never seen, like, a, a Latino dancing merengue wearing his Caribbean outfit, walking onto, like, the Grammy stage and... And he must speak a word of English. 
Oh, I know. Like, and Not didn't a give word. a shit. He just, no. he is who he is. No, but, but, that, but, but that's the proud, you know, kind of like, you know, that is of today, right? Like they could actually do that. You know, you can flex. And again, yes. we need to realize that just because we have the numbers, you know, if we're 20% of the population going to 30% by 2040, but you don't have to wait for the future because the future is now. You know, mm-hmm. we are leading in the top 20 DMAs of this country, right? Led by Latino, but multicultural in general, multicultural majorities. One of every two or three babies being born or Latino. We have the numbers. But remember, there was a place like South Africa where you had apartheid and there was a majority, but they had no power. And so that's what I, I want the message for all of your listeners. We have to support each other. It has to be Latinos and Latinos. We have to, when you see anything being done by Tripas or anyone else that's out there, support them, lift them up tweet about it, you know, like just really show up because we have to be the ones that are going to be the driving force and then tell your friends about it. I mean, I was talking actually, I have even told Ben about this, a friend of mine at one of the media agencies and, you know, she's a, you know, white girl from, you know, Maryland. She is the biggest fan of Acapulco, right? That's like her favorite show. She like knows every character. She repeats the lines. And again, that's where you have the success, right? When almost identity becomes invisible. It's just incredible quality content that people just love, and it just happens to have Latinos in it. I think that's kind of you know where we want to get to. I was going to say, Stephen, I didn't want to interrupt you, but there's, I mean, Bad Bunny is getting is in the ringer right now for his dating choices. <laughs> have you seen that popping all over social media? It's just like the news of TikTok. No, what, uh, what is it? Uh, yeah, but, 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 but no count, no count. We're yeah, no count. <laughs> we won't get controversy on here. Yeah, so. Ben, we'll talk offline about it. But yeah, yeah, I, exactly, exactly. <laughs> I want to do, I want to end this beautiful conversation with Living These, which is how I end every single podcast episode. Whether you have water, wine, coffee, I have my mm-hmm. little coffee because <laughs> I was rushing to get something. But I want to do a, um, I want to give you both the space to manifest some good for our Latino community. So Ben and Steven, what do you want to cheers to? And what do you want to manifest for Latinos everywhere? Steven? Hey, Steven? No, 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 no. no. Ben, hey, Steven? Me, no. <laughs> uh, listen, I just have a lot of gratitude. That's all. I have a lot of gratitude. You know, this is what I'm going to say. I hear the stories all the time of Latinos trying to get into Hollywood and feeling like outsiders. I wanted to be part of the Latino community making content. And you know what? No one told me I couldn't. Everybody welcomed me with open arms. So I just, I, I hope that we can get to a point where it feels that way to Latinos always, you know, especially in Hollywood where it hasn't always been that. But I'm so grateful that it didn't work the other way. Like there's so much grace and so much acceptance, you know. If you if you if you're part of the love, you get love. That's it. I love that. Well, I mean, I would just uh, raise my water bottle here and just really wish uh, our community show up. You know, show up and never, never, never give up. Right? I mean, we have the Oscars coming up. Let's see, you know, how we do. We have, you know, maybe uh, too few kind of nominations, but again, it's about showing up. I mean, last year Eugenio was a part of the Oscar-winning film Coda. You know, and we have a very exciting film that just premiered at Sundance and actually won the best audience award for, you know, for the best favorite film at Sundance. It's called Radical. Uh, and that's a Spanish language film. And it was viewed by a bunch of non Latinos and it got awarded out of what 111 films, Ben. It won the audience award for, for favorite. So, you know, I just feel like 
having people show up and support Latinos in whatever they do, that's my wish. Salud. Cheers Salud. to Salud. all the manifestations. <laughs> thank you both really for being here and thank you for sharing and creating content for the world. No, yeah. thank you Thanks for, for world domination. For providing this. <laughs> thank you for providing this platform and keep up the great work. We're here to lift you up as well. Y'all, go to Tripas right now. Watch all of these movies. I'm, you will not regret it. I hope to see y'all next week for more Cafecito and Chisme, for more Hello Latino updates. Follow Hello Latino Podcast on Instagram. You can also follow me on my personal Instagram at ojasmine4as and find me on LinkedIn. Con muchísimo, muchísimo amor, tu amiga hondureña.